0: Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. Okay, turn to John chapter 10 tonight. Uh, we're going to pick up in in the middle of John chapter 10. We were studying the um, uh, uh, the Good Shepherds, uh, uh, Jesus is the Good Shepherd. And um, how many of you have ever read the Old Testament uh, a document, Ecclesiastes. How many of you have ever read Ecclesiastes? Okay, good. I see those hands at home too, but anyway. Um, one of the things that's a repeating theme in Ecclesiastes, and, and Solomon's the writer of Ecclesiastes, and one of his repeating statements is, under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he's talking about perspective. And his perspective at that time in his life is that he's looking at everything in life from earth to heaven. Is that the way a Christian should look at things? And the answer is, no. We should look at it top down from heaven to earth. But because he, in Ecclesiastes, if you know the letter, you know that he has gone off and he's trying every type of sin imaginable to see what he gets out of it. And of course, he gets to the point where he makes statements like, and I hated life because he's trying all these sins and he's looking at everything from earth up instead of heaven down But finally, thank God at the end of the book, he comes back to his senses and he um, turns back to the script, turns back to God, turns back to everything. Now, here's the issue I want to bring up with that that we'll talk about when we get to point one, and that is perspective is very important, is it not? As a Christian, I need a Christian worldview, do I not? So I should look everything from top down, heaven to earth, and not from earth up like man to God. I shouldn't look at it that way. Otherwise, my perspective in life will be off. Hold that thought. We'll get there when I get to point one in about two minutes. But John chapter 10, let's pick it up where we left off last time. And that's verse 16. It says, I have other sheep, this is Jesus speaking, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. Now, he says, for this reason, the Father loves me. What is the reason that the Father loves him? Well, the reason the Father loves him is because he's a good shepherd. He guards the sheep. He defends the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. And he even says in there, I lay down my life for this sheep and I take it back up again. When he says, I take it back up again, what is he referencing? He's referencing the resurrection, is he not? He takes his life back up again. And so he does all this for the sake of us and then the other flock to bring the other flock in with this flock to make them one flock, amen? Now, what in the world does that mean? We covered a little bit of it, but let me take you into what it means by the other the other sheep in verse 16, because he's talking to the Jews here, but he has other sheep. Keep your marker right here and turn. In your notes there, you have it. It's Ephesians uh, chapter two. If you don't have notes, they're always at the doorway when you come in. Um, Ephesians chapter two. Look at uh, two, and we're gonna pick up at um, <coughs> verse 11 to 15, now, now watch this, <clears throat> it says this, this is Paul speaking, and let me show you the other sheep sheet, it's interesting, therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh who were called in circumcision, by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, so remember Gentiles separate from Christ, and by the way, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, Uh, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hmm. Those far off Gentiles are now brought near because of the blood of Jesus. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into what? Into one group. That's right. And broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. "...by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into, into one new man and thus establishing peace." So he brings them together. Now, the Jew and the Gentile were separate, were they not? Jesus comes along and he goes to the cross, he lays on his life, he dies, sheds his blood, rises from the dead... And in doing so, he abolishes the dividing wall between the two groups right there. Now, what Paul is referencing is something that's very visual in their minds back then. And that is this, that on the Temple Mount, there was a court of the Gentiles and there was a court of the Jews. A Gentile could never come into the court of the Jews. He couldn't do it. If they came there, guess what would happen? They would die, is what would happen. Because there was a sign. From what I've read, there was a sign that was placed there for the Gentiles to read and to be warned, and it said this, death to any Gentile that enters the court of the Jews. So there was separation, major separation. And so Jesus comes to get this, the other sheep, the Gentiles, to bring them into one flock. So intense was the separation. Do you remember when Paul brings uh, the Greek, I think it was Timothy, brings Greek Timothy in Acts 21 into the area, and they accuse him of bringing him onto the temple area of the Jews only, and Paul is getting big, they're lying about Paul, he never did that, but they're, but he gets in big trouble over that one. Now, Jesus brings all of us into one, and they had a problem with it, even Peter and and the guys did at certain points, but if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abraham You find that he tells Abraham, In you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. It wasn't just the Jews, it was everyone. And and Jesus came, he destroys the dividing barrier, the dividing wall, and he brings all people into one family, the family of God. Amen? Which is the only answer for peace in this world. Now, let's go back to John chapter 10. Now, point number one, if you're taking notes, and that's this perspective is important perspective is very important now let's get back to perspective let's read verse 18 no one has taken it away from me but I lay it down on my own initiative talking about his life I have authority to lay it down I have authority to take it up again this commandment I received from my father now let's take perspective on this he says no one takes my life from me I lay my life down now if you took the perspective of say a solomon or anybody takes it from earth looking up a a humanistic earth perspective would you believe or think that jesus has the power over his own life you would never think that would you because you see the pharisees they come get him you see him on trial you see Pilate condemn him you see the romans kill him and you would think jesus is not in control of his own life but that's what you would believe if you're looking at it from earth up right But if you're looking at it from heaven down, what would your perspective be? Jesus is in total control of his life. How many times did they try to take him and they couldn't, right? He says, it's not my time. It's not my time. It's not my time. And so it's important that all of us keep a divine perspective on all things because that's the greater reality, is it not? We must keep the divine perspective. And that's the difference between a believer and say... uh, a, a naturalist or a person who believes in naturalism or e- this is all you see. There's nothing beyond. There's no spirit. There's no, nothing like that. Now, let's move on. Point two. Point two is, it is impossible to be neutral about Jesus. Has anyone found that out? You cannot be neutral about Jesus. Now look at verse 19, 20, and 21. A division occurred. Say the next word. What is it? A division occurred. Again. That's right. <laughs> Meaning it's always happening, huh? A division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, He has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Can you imagine calling Jesus a demon? Verse 21, others were saying, These are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind. Can he? Now, I want you to think about this right here. Jesus is talking, and as he talks and as he shares, there's a division again right, so he's always causing division, now, do you remember the last, not the final, but the last I am statement back in verse 7, he says, I am the what, look at verse 7, I am the what, I am the, it's not, it's only a few verses back, okay, guys, I'm the door, all right, he says, it's not a true question, okay, I'm not trying to trick you, all right, I, I am the door, now, you think about doors and you think about being neutral. Let's just take the idea of a door because he's the doorway to heaven. Nobody comes to the Father but through him, correct? Correct, okay. So at my house, I have doors. Do you guys have doors? Yes. Okay, good. We're all on the same page. Got it. Okay, good. Now, my wife and I, we're older now. And we're pretty much empty nesters. And so when we became empty nesters, I decided I've really got to make sure that my wife is protected while I'm not there. I just had to make sure. I also had to make sure that I'm protected when I'm there, all right? Because I'm older now, shoulder surgery, I trained for years in karate, but shoulder surgery, I cannot throw a right punch anymore. I have a strained left knee ligament. I can't throw a roundhouse. I can't throw a side kick. I can't throw a front kick. I cannot kick anybody in the face anymore. Not that I could even if it was working. I'm just old now, okay? So I know I can't do these things anymore, and so I decided I've got to protect, especially my wife. And so I put security screens on the back doors. And then I had a real nice wrought iron security, beautiful door on the front door of our regular doors to make sure that nobody, nobody's going to get, you need a cannon to get in there on that one right there. And so here's, here's the thing about doors. At night, we close the doors to our house and we all lock ourselves in, Correct. But when we lock ourselves in, we lock everybody else out, correct? So that door actually is a divider between us inside and those out there, right? Well, Jesus is the door. I mean, that door is open right now, is it not? And you can enter in, can you not? But you, do you have to enter in? Do you have to? No, you can make a decision not to go there. You can stay outside and never go in through that door. But one day that door is going to swing closed, is it not? So the door is a divider. So think about it. The door's a divider. Jesus comes and says, I'm the door. I'm the divider. You can come in if you want, but day's going to come when you can't come in anymore. So we know that on the, on the day of judgment, he separates the sheep from the goats, correct? The wheat from the chaff, correct? The believer from the unbeliever, correct? One of you said it. So praise the Lord, we're growing here. Amen to that one. So it's very important remember that no matter what, when somebody says, I choose not to make a decision about Jesus, what have they just done? They just made a decision about Jesus. They can't, you can't stay neutral. You cannot stay neutral about Jesus. Now, <clears throat> let me give you a quick sidebar because whenever I see this kind of dialogue in verse 19 through 21, it kind of, I just want to say this. Let me just say it because it makes me feel better when I go home, all right? And you guys want me to feel better, right? Yes. Okay, good. Now, one group is calling him a demon and crazy, correct? Yes. But what's the other group saying? Wait a minute here. They use logic, do they not? They reason, do they not? They say, "Wait a minute, um, a demon demon can't open the eyes of a blind man because that's what it goes back to, right?" So, on the one side, and this is so society today. On the one side, you appear he's crazy, he's demon possessed, he's a demon. Are they just throwing cliche, angry statements at Jesus? That's what they're doing. Are they thinking anymore? And the answer is, they're not thinking anymore. And that's a lot of people today, is it not? They just throw cliches out, throw things, and that's why I call them the cliche culture now because it doesn't make any sense. But you and I, if we ever get into this and we're dialoguing and sharing Jesus or whatever, and somebody's getting mad because have you ever been around somebody getting heated about what they think is right when you know they're completely wrong? Anybody ever did that before? What you need to do is be like the other people and say, wait a minute. A demon can't open the eyes of the blind. See how they use logic? See so how they use reason? You've got to stay calm. you got to use your logic. Use your reason and stay calm. Because if you get into the emotional argument, are you going to say some wrong things? Yes. You better believe it. You stay calm. You stay calm and you answer and give the answers for the hope that is within you. Amen to that one? Now, look at verse 22. Oh, this is going to be fun. Um, at that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. And it was what? Winter, that's important. And Jesus is walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. Now, <clears throat> it's winter, which means now we know, John's pointing out that Jesus now has four months before he will be crucified. Because he will be crucified in mid April. This is December, January, February, March, April. Four months he has to live. And this is what he's telling us right now <clears throat> it's winter. Jerusalem sits at about 4,000-plus-foot elevation. It gets cold there. Uh, I was there once in February, and they said it might snow tonight. It was really, really cold. And it, gets, it, gets, it gets cold there. So, <clears throat> But the big question is this, because John just inserts this statement. It's a real quick statement. He says at verse 22, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. We know it's wintertime, and it's a Feast of Dedication. Huh, what feast is he talking about? There are no winter feasts in the Old Testament. None of those feasts are this time. What feast is he talking about? Anybody know? It's Hanukkah. He's talking about Hanukkah. Now, can I take you on a little journey to understand how Hanukkah began? Is that okay? Yes. Good, because you have no choice. So, <laughs> okay, so, so now Hanukkah, like I said before, is not part of one of the Old Testament feasts that we read about in Leviticus. It's not one of them. This one came later. Turn in your Bibles to Daniel in the Old Testament, keeping your marker in John 10. Daniel chapter 11. Daniel's one of the greatest prophetic books in in the Old Testament. It is incredible, the prophecies that Daniel gave, and they've come to pass, and they're still coming to pass. Now, in Daniel 11, and I have your reference there, verse 21 to verse 35. I'm not going to start at verse 21. It's too many verses. But I put it there for you to read. This is talking about a guy by the name of, and Daniel is writing 600 BC. He's writing about a man who will come along about five, uh, 434 years 35 years more in the future. He's writing about a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes IV. Say that with me. I'll, no, I'm just joking. Don't say that. Okay. <clears throat> this guy is, is a Greek king over the Seleucid Empire. Um, if you know your history, you know when Alexander the Great died, even da, Daniel even prophesies it, it breaks into four kingdoms. One of them is the Seleucids. So this guy is one of the kings over there. Now, he goes on a conquering campaign, this Antiochus Epiphanes IV. Uh, let me read verse, uh, verse I'm going to start at verse uh, 28, 28-35. It says this. Then he will return to his land with much plunder, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant, and he will take action and then return to his own land. At the appointed time, he will return and come into the south, but this last time it will not turn out the way it did before. For ships of Kittim will come against him. Those are Romans, the so Romans are sending them. Therefore, you be disheartened and will return and become engaged at the holy covenant and take action. So, he will come back and show regard for those uh, who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. That's an important term. Verse 32. By smooth words, he will turn to godlessness. Those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. Those who have insight among the people will give understanding to the many. Yet they will fall by the sword and by the flame, by flame, by captivity and by plunder for many days. Now, when they fall, they will be granted a little help, and many will join with them in hypocrisy. Some of those who have insight will fall in order to refine. Purge and make them pure until the end of time, till the end time, because it is still to come at the appointed time. Now, what is all that even talking about? Let me give you, let me summarize it and tell you what's going on here. This guy in Antiochus Epiphanes IV, he goes to Egypt. He's going to conquer. The Romans meet him there and they, they make him back off, and he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it one bit. And he's angry, he's very angry. So what he does, he's going to go take it out on somebody. And he heads north, and he heads to Jerusalem. And when he goes to Jerusalem, he lays siege to the city. Now, he takes the temple captive. He gives his name, Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes means God manifest. He's calling himself God. The Jews did not call him Epiphanes. They called him, let me get this right, they called him Epimenes, which means mad one. Because he's angry and he's crazy. So they gave him a different name. Now, why did they give him that name? Because when he comes to Jerusalem, he kills 80,000 Jews. He takes 40,000 Jews as prisoners. He takes another 40,000 and he sells them off as slaves. But it doesn't end there. He robs the temple of everything in it and today the worth of all that stuff would be over $1 billion in that temple. Probably more by now. But in that temple, what he does when he gets there, he does this. He outlaws the Old Testament law. Jews, you cannot cannot practice the Old Testament law. You cannot read it. You cannot do anything like that. He takes a pig. He sacrifices the pig on the altar of God. He spills pig blood on the altar of God. Can you imagine? He takes an idol of Zeus, puts it into the holiest of holy places where the Ark of the Covenant dwells. He puts it inside there. He sets up brothels outside the temple area right there. He orders the Jews to worship Zeus in the holy place. Guys, is this guy crazy? Is he bad? Yeah. Now, that led to what some of you have probably heard, the Maccabean revolt. Have you ever heard about that? Judas Maccabeus. He rises up and he leads a revolt. And it takes a couple years, but eventually they drive him out. They get the temple back. They cleanse it. They restore it, and they dedicate that temple on December 25th, 165 B.C. And that is how Hanukkah began in December because of that dedication and because of taking back the temple. And so he inserts this thing there. But now here's the bigger picture. And can I take you further on this? Okay, good. You look like you want to. Antiochus Epiphanes, he's this man who did live in history, 165 B.C. But there will be someone like him, a type of him, that will come in the future. We know him as the Antichrist. Antichrist. That's right. He's going to come along, and he will do similar things that Antiochus Epiphanes IV did in the temple. Remember, the Antichrist will come along in the great tribulation period, seven years, and in the midpoint when the temple's finished, when it's done, and they want to rebuild that temple. And so he will, it seems like he'll help them, but he will walk into the temple and they're going to sacrifice. He will walk in himself and he will say, I'm God, now you worship me. And the Jews will know that they have been fooled. And that's when they flee, and that's when they run, and the Antichrist armies are gonna chase after him. Jesus calls the moment that that the Antichrist walks into the temple and says, You worship me, I am God. Jesus calls it what? The abomination of desolation. The same thing we saw in Daniel. Now watch. Turn to Matthew 24. Turn to Matthew. I'm gonna just show it to you quick. We're gonna we're gonna rip and run here, real quick. Matthew 24. When you're in Matthew 24, say I'm there, because then we're going to fast again. Okay, good. Now look at verse 15. Jesus talking about end time says this. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is spoken through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. And then he goes on to say, then you better run for your life. When you see this happen, and he's talking to the Jews, you better run for your life, because that's the abomination of desolation. Now, keep going forward Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now watch, remember what I said Antichrist is going to do? Here's the verification of that. 2 Thessalonians, keep going right, chapter 2. And there's another Antichrist statement right here. When you're there, say I'm there. I don't want to move too fast. I know I talk fast. You there? Okay, good. Now watch verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians 2. Let no one in any way deceive you. For it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. That's the Antichrist, guys. Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the, the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. And there's a verification that he, like Antichus Epiphanes, similarly, Antichrist will help with the rebuilding of the temple, But he will walk into the temple, and he will say, I'm God, now you worship me, which is the abomination of desolation, which Jesus told the Jews, when you see that, you better run for your life. Now, the question is, why would Antichrist, and by the way, Antichrist, we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, correct? That's the Trinity. There is a demonic Trinity. There's the devil, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, It's kind of the opposite, though they're not opposite. They don't have the power that our our God has in any way, shape, or form. Um, Now, so he goes in there and says, now you worship me. Why does he do that? Better question. What has Satan always wanted? To be worshipped. And Satan will be worshipped through the Antichrist. You will find that in Revelation during the the tribulation period. He wants to be worshipped. And so going all the way back to where we began at, Hanukkah begins here, but Hanukkah and everything that happened there in Antiochus Epiphanes, the fourth, points to the Antichrist to come. So let's go back to John chapter 10, and let's pick it up and move move on. Verse 24 and 25. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. Now, what's the big question they ask him? Are you the Christ? And if I were Jesus, I'd say, really? I haven't said this already. I haven't told you. But Jesus says, look. Okay, guys. Just look at the works that I do. Do the works prove that I am the Christ? That's really what he's saying, right? The evidence is the works of my life. They speak for themselves. So now, verse 20, uh, verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. Uh-oh. Boy, he slammed them, didn't he? My sheep hear my voice. Remember, he's the good shepherd, correct? And I know them. Remember, he's a good shepherd, correct? And they follow me. Remember, he's a good shepherd, correct? He's just going back to earlier in chapter 10 of John. He's reiterating the things about the good shepherd. So he tells them, the reason you don't believe, no matter how many times I tell you, is because you are not my sheep. And now Jesus is going to really lay in and give them the big truth right now. Okay, and that's point three. The the true believer, or he's going to give him a great truth. The true believer is secure in Christ. Is he not? Is he not? That's right. Look at verse 28. And I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Isn't that good? My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Isn't that good? Yeah, I like that a lot right there. Now, there is so much theological debate over these verses right here that I'm not going to do tonight. Because you guys will get bored after about three minutes. So I'm going to try to keep it simple on this one now. No one can snatch us out of God's hands. Let me say something that's going to shock you, but just let me say the whole thing. I'm going to ask a question, I'll answer it myself. Do you think that everybody that looks up at me on Sundays is actually saved? I don't. I don't at all. Because if that were the case, there'd be so much follow-up by these people. So what's happening? It's like a giant witnessing party. I'm planting seed in some people for the first time. I'm watering seed in some people for the second or tenth time. Do you follow me on that? Yes. That's what I'm doing, and I understand that. Now, are some people actually getting saved? Absolutely they are. Are some lives actually being transformed? Absolutely they are. But what I'm doing, I'm planting and I'm watering, and some are getting saved. So I know that not everybody is becoming a Christian in those moments. So, So with that said, I hate to use the word, you know. I hate to use the word "true believer" because then we start looking at people. That's a true one. That's not. A, I don't. Don't do that because you, you can't read what's in a person's heart. You can't know for sure on those things. Now, <clears throat> but I want to give you security, that because I know some Christians. Some weeks you feel like you're safe. Some weeks you think you're not. Right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. I just want to know what I'm talking to. Okay, good. Okay, you're not safe. No, I'm just joking. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. You feel better already, don't you? Okay. I want to get you secure in your life. Were you saved by faith or by what you do? Well, Good answer, okay. Since you are saved by faith, let me reverse that. Since you weren't saved, let me reverse that. (laughs) (laughs) Since we're not saved by what we do, we cannot be unsaved by what we do. Do you hear that? Since we're not saved by what we do, we cannot be unsaved by what we do. You follow me? Because every one of us sins and has a bad day or moment, right? Which is an action, is something we do. And at that moment, some of us can be deceived that I'm not saved. See, some of us think we're jumping in and out of salvation. No. No. You're not unsaved by what you do. You can't be unsaved by what you do. So, listen, don't panic. You just say, God, forgive me. You're still saved. It didn't mean like, I was partially saved, now I'm really saved again because I said forgive me. No, you're fully saved, okay? Now, look at those verses again, and it says, we're in Jesus' hand, correct? And we're in whose hand? The Father. Are you in good hands? That's right. Not with all state, but with the Father and the Son. Okay. So... So, and guess what? it says, no one can snatch you out of, the, out, of, out of the father's hand, out of my hand. Now, who is the thief and the robber? Because thieves and robbers come and try to snatch sheep, right? Remember early in chapter 10, two weeks ago? Anybody remember? Who is Jesus specifically talking about is the thief and the robbers? It's the Pharisees. So on the one hand, they can't snatch you up. But then Jesus progresses, talking also about the Pharisees. But then in John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and to destroy, but I come to give you life that more abundantly. Who else, tries to, who is, a, who else is a thief and a robber? Satan is. So you put that all together, I'm in God, the Father's hand, I'm in Jesus' hand, I'm in good hands. Can Satan snatch me out of God's hands? No, no way. And the answer is no. Never can. Cannot do it. And we need to walk in the security of these things. Amen. So you don't walk around doubting your salvation. You're saved. And you believe it. And you walk in it. And even if you commit a sin, you're not unsaved. You just say, Lord, forgive me. And you just put your hand to the plow again. And you keep on going. Amen? Amen. Now, Jesus is going to answer the question. Point four in your notes. Jesus answered their question. And he says, I am God. Watch this. Verse 30, 31. I... And the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him, so it's going to be a nice rock party, right? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> he says, "I and the Father are one. You can't get a stronger statement than this about Jesus being God. This is even bigger, stronger than John 8:58, when he says, "Before Abraham was born, "I am." This is even bigger than that in this moment. Now, is Jesus, let me clarify, is Jesus saying God the Father and Jesus are the same person? The answer is no. He's saying they're one in essence. It's unity, not identity. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. But they are one in essence. Now, if this did not mean that he's saying he is God, then why in verse 31 are they picking up stones to stone him? They're picking up stones because they know exactly what he's saying. He just declared he's God. And so they're going to stone this guy to death now. Now, watch this. Because Jesus pulls a smooth move. Verse 32. Jesus answered Because remember, what are they holding in their hands? Rocks. Jesus answered them. I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? Is that a great question? Okay, all the works that I did, which one are you stoning me? Opening the blind man's eyes, you know, making a man walk, you know. Which one are you stoning me for? It's a great question. And by the way, whenever you get in a debate with somebody and they hit you, ask you a question, you know, I don't believe there's a God, okay. Ask them, can you prove to me there's no God? Hit them back with the question. They're the one who made the statement. Make let the burden of proof be on them. Don't sit there and feel like you have to state everything, though you probably can't answer the question. Now, Verse 30, 30, 32, 33 now. The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. Why? Because he declared himself he's God, right? Watch what they say. And because, blasphemy, and because you being a man make yourself out to be God. See, they even stated right there. You, you just said you were God, Jesus. Jesus answered them, verse 34. Has it not? This is the smooth move. Has it not been written in your law? I said, you are gods. He quotes Psalm 82.6. If he called them gods, this is Jesus' reasoning with them now, to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. And they're all going like this. Yeah, it can't be broken. Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blasphemy because I said, I am the Son of God. Now, what did Jesus just do? They're mad because they say, You called yourself God. Jesus pulls Psalm 82.6 out, which says, Ye are gods. Small G, not big G. Ye are gods. If you go back to that word gods in the Old Testament, Elohim, it could mean God or it could mean judges. Not just God, it could mean judges. But Jesus, in a smooth move, very logical, says, Look. If the scripture called these judges gods and we are sons and descendants of them, why are you mad? Because I said I'm a son of God. Did you catch that? Did you catch how smooth that is? He left them off balance. They're like, yeah, what? You know, they don't know what to say to this thing right here. So he's got them all off balance on that one right there. Now, verse 37. If I do not do... If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. He reiterates the very same thing. Verse 39. Therefore they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. Because why? He's got four months to the crucifixion. It's not tying it. He's in complete control. Remember, heaven to earth is our perspective. Remember that one? Not earth to heaven. Okay, now, point five, last point. This is what we're going to drive home on tonight. The fruit of our lives should outlast us. The fruit of our lives should outlast us. Now look at verse 40 to 42. And he went away again beyond the Jordan, to the place where John was first baptizing. And he was staying there. So he goes out to the Jordan River. Many came to him and were saying, while John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man, meaning Jesus, was true. Many believed in him there. Huh. Okay. They're, they're gonna, they want to kill Jesus. But he's got four months to go. Because everything's according to the Old Testament feast. This is no random day he's going to die on. It's no random day he's going to rise from the dead. It's no random day the church age is born because they fall on the Old Testament feast days. They're, they're, they're purposed. There's reason behind it. Jesus goes to where John baptized him over two years ago. He retreats to that place. John the Baptist is, is dead now. Herod Antipas has killed him. He's beheaded him by, by now. Many come to Jesus there at this spot, and they say that everything that John the Baptist said about Jesus is true. And so the result of John the Baptist preaching about Jesus is, as we read, many people believed in Jesus. Did they not? So the question is this. Is the fruit of John the Baptist's life still flourishing after his death? Still is, isn't it? It's still flourishing. Let me let me finish this way. <clears throat> I know I'm a blessed guy. I know it. So are you. I'm a blessed guy, and I count my blessings because I, I, I'm very fortunate that I, I believe I'm doing what I was born again to do. I'm fortunate that I got to plant this church out of my home 30 years ago. God told me to do it. Unfortunate but the church has to outlive. new beginnings has to outlive me. It's got to go beyond me. I Pray for my um, I pray for my grandkids my wife and I pray for our grandkids every night four of them went on the way That they would grow up to be di- These are the words I use dynamic Christians students of the word Baptized in power reach many people for Jesus bold as lions being able to answer the questions. I pray that every night for these kids. I pray every night for these kids. I'm blessed. My kids, their parents, they serve God too. My daughter sings on stage, she's one of the worshipers. She's the one with the big bowling ball in her belly right now. She's (laughs) ready to pop in November. My son Nathan, school teacher, but he plays drums, Riverside, uh, New Beginnings. My son Dylan planted Riverside, which scared me out of my mind because he's late 20s. He plants a church. I mean, gosh, he's just a baby in my mind. But but, And then he's in college. He went back to school now. While he's planted the church, he's still in college going for his his bachelor's and his master's and his doctorate in Bible or whatever it's going to be, but it is Bible. Um, uh, Multiple people have come up to me and told me that Your son, Dylan, is doing a great job. But among all those, one time you came up to me and uh, you said to me right here, not the ladies, but you bro. And you said to me, your son's doing a great job in Riverside. And then you said, he reminds me of you. My first thought was, I'm better looking. but I was so blessed in that moment I, I was so blessed I, I, I go man I'm a blessed guy the fruit of my life will outlive me and the fruit of your life will outlive you and I'm talking about the fruit of the kingdom of God that you do for God Amen. you guys know me and so you know I'm a very strong believer and emphasizing cycle breaker cycle maker that we are called to break old cycles in our family by the power of the Spirit of God and the cross of Christ. And I have purposed in my life to break those old cycles that I grew up in, in an alcoholic home. I grew up in these things, and you all have your own baggage, so don't pretend you don't. And so I've purposed to keep breaking and breaking and breaking it because I want to break the cycles and create new cycles. For my family. I want better fruit. Than what I grew up in. And that was always a big deal for me. That I am a cycle breaker. And I'm a cycle maker. Because the fruit. Has to outlive our lives. But let me say this. All of you in this room. You are all cycle breakers. And you are all cycle makers. That you're called. To recognize the things in your life. That you brought with you. That are not right, that are not according to God's word, break it, change it, because we have been set free and then walk in the new life and create new fruit, new cycles, and that fruit will outlive you. And that's what's most important in my life. And especially as I get older and older, it is vital. It is so important. Amen. We'll pause there. Thank you, Jesus, for tonight. Thank you, Lord, that we got to dialogue some things that are very important. And Father, I pray for everybody who watches us throughout the weeks to come, Lord, and all those who listen to it podcast-wise, Lord, I pray it blesses them too. And I pray it challenges us to break old cycles and to walk in the new cycles, the script, the, the scriptural cycles. Thank you, Lord God, for your goodness to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.